Well, good morning. So I think we, have, we do have a couple slides we'll start with. We'll start with the second one. That's me. There we go. I, is that number two? Yeah. All right. I like to tell stories, but I did have to add some scripture into this so it met the approval of somebody I know. Um, but some, Otterbein kind of has a you know, different um, face right now. There's been a lot of new people that have started to come here. So some people don't know Matt and I or our family, so I would want to start with just a little bit of an introduction um, and take you back a little bit in time to an earlier time in ministry where I was where you were. I was sitting in the pew, sleepy little Hallmark churches that Matt was appointed to in ministry, but, you know, that pew was comfortable. I was a new pastor's wife. I was a mother, very fitting. At this point, God shows us his holy humor when we need it the most. But show of hands here, yes, questions? Yes. Are you sure? I mean, I don't doubt the pastor ever. Are you sure? See, I hear it now. I can put my mom voice on. Mike needs a raise for the, all the things I've put him through. My nerves. <clears throat> can you put that in writing? I don't know. Can you guys hear me okay? Is it low? In and out? Hmm. There's a sermon for that probably. Okay. <clears throat> That's going to be the sermon for Father's Day. <laughs> All right, so I'll turn this one off then, right? So it doesn't interfere? Okay. All right, super. Are we better? All right, so there I was at our first appointment, and I was getting ready to ask all of you guys a question. Show of hands, because we're going to interact a little bit here. Who here has one child? You guys have one child. Two children. Okay, so number one, you guys continue to number two, okay? Number three, or four, you know, I, can, I could go up to eight, but <clears throat> what I want you to focus on right now is your secondborn. Even though all of our children have unique personalities from the moment they take their first breath, we're going to focus on number two. But that takes us back to the present story. So I was sitting in that pew, and I had my oldest beside me. My second born was on potty break. My third son was toddling around on the carpet under my feet. And the first of the baby girls was in my womb. The worship service was closing in on that last hymn, and we would sing every week, and it was almost time to go home. But then I heard it. Daddy! Mommy! Oh, I couldn't be. And then I started praying, Dear Lord. So I heard a loud voice and a banging coming from the door directly beside the pulpit area. And there it was again. Daddy! Pastor Matt! <laughs> well, even the pastor's kid knows how to get dad's attention. 
So I make eye contact with Matt, who was in front of the congregation, obviously, where he would be. He was about to give the benediction, but it was cut short by a four-year-old. All 18 people in that congregation will never forget what happened next. The pastor made an exit. So we all sat there because, well, now we're invested, okay? We can't go anywhere. The next thing we hear through the pastor's microphone over the speaker is, Lane, this is Dad. Let me in. Open the door. Hi, Daddy. Lane, let me in. Okay, Dad, come in. Well, because Matt was still mic'd, we heard the door open, some muffled noises resembling toilet flushing, and the four-year-old chatter, and then they all appeared. Well, we all started laughing. We had our closing hymn and our benediction, a couple amens. And if you haven't already guessed it, this is my story from the other side of the pulpit. So here we are. So I do want to thank Matt for asking me to be here today. I may not speak like Pastor Matt. I may not give a message like Pastor Matt. I want to get that out of the way. I know for a fact that God called Matt to be Pastor Matt, and I am Pastor Matt's wife. So if there was anything today, seriously, that I would say that wouldn't suit your fancy or bug you just a little bit, I want you to be very rest assured because the trustees are right now installing a complaint box right outside these back doors. Okay, so write it on. There's notes. There's lots of our kids draw on that during the week. But most of you know who I am, and you're slightly familiar with our family, but I'd like to share a few things for those who are the newer people here today. So we're going to go to, see, that was 2009 before that. That was Matt. We don't know who that was when we found that picture, but it's in front of the bell that was in front of that church in Bloomville, Ohio. But we'll go to the next slide. So this is the D crew. So here's our map here. We have the state of Ohio. Um, we came from the corn area, and we're just north of the hillbilly area right there at the Rust Belt. Um, right beside that little Q area says Amish. Okay, that's where we are. Um, this is the G crew right here. So Canton's been our home for the past four years. Before that, we called Tiffin, Ohio, our home for six years. So Tiffin's a population of, at last count, about 20,000. And it was a bit of a culture shock when we got the call that we were going to be making our biggest move yet in ministry. Uh, Canton, at that point, was a population of 71,000. It could be a little more than that. It could be a less from that. Uh, but once we knew that we were going to be making the big move of our ministry, one son had to map out how close we would be to the Mount Hope auction barn. Um, and that was before he would approve this, okay? And then I had to convince my other son that there would still be grasshoppers at the new house. I had to reassure my 10-year-old daughter that just because we were living by the Amish didn't mean we needed to dress like the Amish. And then I had to convince some other kids that Canton, Ohio, uses the same currency as Tiffin, Ohio. <laughs> I am not kidding. So we can go to that next slide. So you guys see us walk into church on Sundays. Um, maybe you get our Christmas letters. And, uh, you know, we've added eight Garibrand kids to the world. So we're going to get that out of the way. We did plan to have that many kids. Yes, we know how it happens. And we actually do fun things at home, like watch TV and play games. Our oldest is 23, that's Luke, Lane is 19, Nathan is 17, Fern is 14, Bristol is 10, Brielle still is 10, Nora is my mini-me at 7, and Flint is a mini-him at 4. 
He's a baby, but it is true that time does fly when you're having fun. So let's look at our next slide there, because we have to add some scripture into this. So Revelation 3.7 says, And to the angel of the earth in Philadelphia wrote, These things says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens, I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door. See, no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, and you've kept my word, and you haven't denied my name. So the key of David represents authority as the one who opens and shuts our doors, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Opens and shuts the doors specifically for the kingdom, which is ultimately through Jesus Christ. Well, Philadelphia means brotherly love in Greek, and it was a small city located 40 miles southeast of Sardis. It was wealthy and it was commercially important with vineyards and wine production. The believers there, they had obediently kept God's word and they had not denied his name. There was also people dwelling there in Philadelphia who belonged to Satan. Even though they claimed to be Jews on the outside, they would also be made by Jesus Christ to worship before the church and at the believer's feet. The believers are the chosen ones. So what happens today if we look to what God calls us to do as a body of believers, a body of chosen people? Can we also look to see that it is because of our faith that we are chosen? You were not chosen because you came. You came because you were chosen. And we have another scripture here. We're going to look at God's Old Testament people, for example. Why did God set his favor on Israel above all the peoples on the earth? What was the basis of God calling them my chosen, the chosen people? Well, this is Moses' answer. The Lord your God chose you to be a people for his treasured possession. That's all of us here. Out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and he chose you, but it's because you were the fewest of people. And it's because the Lord loves you and he's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. This is amazing, especially on a day like today, Mother's Day. The Lord set his love on you, and he chose you because he loves you. He loves you because he loves you. It has nothing to do with what city you were born in or who your parents are. It has nothing to do with your marriage or how many children you have. God doesn't care what your job is or any of the titles before or after your name. It has nothing to do with how many years you've been at your job or how important you feel you are. He doesn't care about the size of clothing that you wear or the brand of jeans that you slip into every day. He doesn't care if your teeth are straight or if your hair is curly. None of that matters. But why? Because we were created with a breathtaking and divine design. He chose you. And that's the deepest. That's the ultimate. That's the basis of God choosing you to be his servant. Well, a few years ago, this probably happened to some people here. We were at a grocery store. And so um, we're in the produce aisle. We start there, and we kind of weave through the aisles, and we come back around, and then we check out. But I kept running into this woman, and she was on a, a little scooter. And we met at the grapes. And, oh, hey, how's it going? Hey, no, I'll come around here, and I'll get these, you know. And then the coffee aisle. Hey, hey yeah, oh, no, it's okay. Come on through, you know, we'll get through. Every single aisle, the baking aisle, the cereal aisle, the, you know, the popping chips. We get back to the dairy, and by the time we get back there, it's kind of a joke. And we're like, hey, you come here often, you know, 
how's it going, you know, and by this point of the story, you know, we're, we're almost friends. And that's happened to some people here. I know I can't be the only one. So we get all the way up to the register, and we're checking out, and we're at a mire. And um, we're standing there in line, and she's in front of us. And I looked at Matt, and he's so used to it at this point. I mean, it's been a few years ago. It's before we moved here. But I look at him, and, you know, sometimes you suggest things to your husbands or, you know, your significant other, and you know it's not going to get done. You know, like, you know they're just going to be like, well, I'm just going to listen to it this time. But I looked at Matt, and I remember saying, I have to help her out. And he's just like, you know. So the cashier is ringing up her groceries. I follow her scooter out to the car, and she opens the hatch, and um, I help her get her groceries in there. And we kind of just small talk a little bit, but nothing major. I don't know her. She doesn't know me. But then after I get all the groceries put in the back of her hatch of her vehicle, she looks up at me from her scooter and says, you must know Jesus. And I say, yes, I know of his love. And always after a moment like that, you know, really special moment, I have no idea where Matt is, but you know, like God keeps you humble. You know, I could have walked away from him like, absolutely, Tuesday I do. I, you know, like, wow, I helped her with her groceries, you know. I'm doing this, I'm doing this. But, you know, we're not supposed to keep track of things like that. I just saw someone that needed help. But God does keep us humble because I passed Matt riding on that scooter to take it back into Meyer. okay? And I don't know, some people you wonder, how do the scooters get back in? Well, it's people like me that have to ride them in because they have to get charged. But, you know, Matt, he, you know, closes the back of the van and, you know, we make our way. But in all of those things, you know, God is with us. You're showing God's love. And I was chosen at that point to help her out with her groceries. And you may be chosen too. You might be chosen in the parent pickup line or as an encourager in a Bible study. Maybe God chose you to work in the schools. Maybe he chose you to speak words of love and grace to a friend that's struggling with something. Maybe you're going to sing special at church. Maybe you're going to fold bulletins, iron dress clothes, all those type of things. Maybe you're going to return a shopping cart. Maybe you'll wash another load of laundry. You know, there's blessings in that. Those little blessings, right, and that is when God works through us. And all my time in church and things, the moments where God met me the most was when I was by myself in the church and I was folding bulletins. You know, I was working on PowerPoints for the church. You know, it's those quiet moments when God really speaks to us. Some people here know I work in a vet clinic. I know a couple people for sure do. But at the vet clinic, we get a lot of gifts, okay? But it's not the gifts that you think of. They're in usually little brown bags or like Tupperware containers or Rubbermaid containers, like country crock, the miniature ones that come through the window. But I like to, when it comes to the window, you know, you try to keep it lighthearted, you know, because obviously somebody's not feeling well, you know, like Freddie or Belly, you know, or Buddy, Cleo, and, you know, those type of names. But we get a lot of gifts in there. But, you know, it's not the gifts that people think of. But, you know, those, you know, the urine and the feces or the number two is what I call it. You know, we got to do some tests on it. But a few months ago, we had a bounce problem at work. And it kept getting worse. So we set traps and then, you know, the mice set off the traps. And we caught a few and then, you know, that makes some people I work with squeamish, you know, that you're catching mice. But, you know, we have a clinic cat, but he wasn't doing anything. I mean, as big as he is, he was not eating mice. Okay? 
So the people I worked with, you know, we started, you know, looking around, like, where is the smell coming from? We started having this smell out in the lobby, and yes, there's a lot of dogs out there, and everybody likes to mark their presence, if you know what I mean, but where is the smell coming from? So at the end of one day, a couple months ago, we pulled out this um, shelf that holds all of the prescription food, bags of food, canned food, any type of prescription food, all right? And back there, there was so much urine from these mice. I couldn't believe it. But I feel, and the person I was working with, we said, that's what it's smelling. That's the smell we have right now, okay? Oh, my gosh, what am I on the third mic? Okay, we're good. So that brings us to, I arrive at work after, you know, a couple days after that. We get that um, shelf cleaned up, and, you know, mice are a problem. You know, the big guys that I work with, they say, we're going to get somebody in here to take care of this, this rodent problem. So I go to work the next day. Um, I put my jacket and my purse in the bathroom. And I tell you, that smell is worse than ever. And that mouse problem was supposed to be taken care of, but we still smell all of this, and we smell it everywhere. And, you know, once it's in your nose, you can't, you know, you can't get it out of there. And we just scratch our heads like, what is this smell? Well, I get home, and I walk into the kitchen, and I'm ready to put on, you know, another hat, like you guys are wearing today, the mom hat. You know, supper's on, uh, house school, homework, no running, where's the dog, wash your hands. Now really go wash your hands. You know the routine. And in my house, when a four-year-old doesn't want to wash his hands, we pretend like we're calling his preschool teacher. <laughs> and it goes something like this. I pretend to dial. You know, he's, he believes me. Hi, Miss Mary. Hi, this is Flint's mom. Hey, do you still think he needs to wash his hands after he goes potty? Oh, you do? Oh, okay. All right, I'll let him know. But by the time I get to that, I'll let him know. He's like running to the bathroom to wash his hands. But that's what I go home to. I leave the vet office and I go home to that. But that night, I was there in the kitchen. I went to look in my purse for my keys and, and to get the van locked, you know. And this, I opened the zipper on my purse and the smell just erupted out of my purse. It's like a volcano, the smell, the odor. It was there, no ifs, ands, or buts. And it was floating out of my purse, mixed in with the smell of supper, like it was its job. But what was filling half of my newly gifted purse from my oldest was beyond me. And listen, I have a strong stomach. You have to with kids. I've caught puke midair. I've had fluids in my children, you know, for my children, more places than I care to admit. I'm a mom, but, you know, this was different. This brown curdled, more than likely, once a liquid turned into a science experiment. over the counter and I start to pull things out of my purse you know the soupy purse I have two books that I've carried around for months that I swore I was going to read I have love notes from the kids I have my bag of mints my first aid kit my medicine bag my EpiPen regular pens pencils markers earbuds they're switched all the way to the side were the keys but now in conclusion that would have be any Nancy Drew book the prime suspect was an almost four-year-old. 
In his defense, the baby of eight, one week earlier, we had went to a doctor's appointment three hours away because I have problems with change. We kept our pediatrician when we moved here. And we stopped at a gas station, and we got him his favorite chocolate milk. Well, it was the good stuff, you know, so good that when he was done with maybe a fourth of it, he decided to open his legs and pour it directly into the top of my purse that was right at his feet. So if you take five days of a purse being half-zipped in a warm environment mixed with a dairy product, while well, I scrubbed my purse twice, I bought a new wallet, and I gave my kids my earbuds. The books are ruined, but I got to the bottom of it, literally. And I apologized to my work family for blaming the work mice when I actually was my purse. That was the sinky thing. But that's life. You're certain it's one thing, and this is going to happen, but then in the end, it's something completely different. It's kind of like those mice or that purse. We get on our way and our mind is set. Think of a time in your life when you were called to be set apart. Think about the last year. When I started working at that vet office, all that people knew about me was that I was married to a pastor and that I had eight kids. So they admit now that they thought I would walk in wearing long skirts and my hair would be in a bun. Well, because that was their perception of what a pastor's life was. My husband and I, we weren't from the area. I didn't have a common last name that everybody would know. Nobody knew our parents. No one who knew who my kids were, and nobody even knew me. But everybody in this room has been in similar shoes. A new job, meeting new people in the family. What about the people that walk in the church doors for the first time every Sunday? What about them? And there are things in our life that I can look back on with Matt and I, things that we had planned in ministry. But before ministry, we were people too, and we had plans. You know, the things that aren't planned. We can easily talk about doors that have been opened to us by God himself, but what about the doors we didn't even know about? Well, I was married at 18 years and five days. Nobody gasped at that. That's great. My husband and I, well, we met at the grocery store. Yes, it happened. His family was a multi-generational dairy farmers, and they loved Jesus Christ. That was what I wanted. From the moment I met my husband, I wanted what he had. I could tell that he loved Jesus. So we made our plans, and we can go to the next slide. We we started opening the doors. My senior year, we got married. He picked me up from school that day, and we made our way down the winding road to his family farm. While our, our plans continued, we would keep on dairy farming. We would work in our church, and we would serve. We prayed for the doors before us. We vowed in combination of prayers not to be pew warmers, and we would raise any future children to love Jesus. I was going to have a big farmhouse and an attic full of antiques that somebody left behind like that lived there before us. They just left them for me. Um, I would have lots of trees on our property, and there's going to be a weathered yardstick in our kitchen, and it would measure how tall our future kids would get. And then when the kids got too tall for that yardstick, I was going to add another one on top. I had it all planned out. On Sundays, we would spend after church at the pond behind our house, reeling in fat bluegills and bass and the crickets and the breeze, when those were our plans, those were the doors that we had ready and we felt they were prepared to open. And we had the blueprint. 
We just needed to execute. But then, a storm was rolling in and the clouds were low. There was changes. We lost Matt's mother. Two weeks later, our first was born. Where are all those doors that we were just so sure about earlier? Come on, God, where are you? So we prayed. And then God said, listen to my plan. Believers are commanded to set themselves against the ways of the worldly system. But why? Because our identity is in Christ, not with the worldly ways. A believer, a church, a life everlasting, set apart for his kingdom. Now being 26 years into marriage at this point in my life, I could say a few things about love. Love has different meanings to different people. You think about the love gifts you've gotten from those you love, like today. I'm sure some people got Mother's Day gifts or were the giver of those. Um, Gifts from parents, children, friends, husbands, wives, mothers, especially on this Mother's Day. And I remember very clearly the memory that my husband and I first shared on our first Christmas together. Out of love, he bought me a new toilet seat and an ironing board. And I'm going to admit here, I like gifts that I can use. But as a newlywed, I didn't know really what to expect underneath the Christmas tree. But really, a toilet seat wasn't one of them. But I smiled and I said those three words. I love it. The Bible has a lot to say about that word called love, and especially love as a mother. So our next slide, we see all those love verses. 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Love is never easy, but it's always going to be worth the effort. Love is the greatest gift. Without the father's love, without the mother's love, what do we have? Go to the next slide there, Mike. Well, it was October 22nd, 2018. I had spent the day in Sunday school worship, a third birthday party for my daughter, and I was weeks from delivering Mr. Flint. Being a family in the ministry year after year, we've heard over and over how Sundays at church really aren't for a pastor and his family to be fed at. You know, you're feeding others. You know, you are, you're caring for others. You're making sure that um, things are taken care of, you know, people in ministry. So you have your lay leaders. You have the people that pull the music together. You have your sound people. You have the people leading your Sunday school class. When you're working like that, you do have to find another way to be fed. So for us, we found another church. In the evenings on Sunday night, it was a non-denominational church where we could go with Matt and Angie and not Pastor Matt and family. There was activities for the kids, and the sermon always was really good. We had our Bibles open, and we were learning, and we were being fed. But earlier in that day, we were barely able to wrap up this birthday party in time to get everybody out the door. And I don't know what your family is like, but we have one person in our family that instead of that happy birthday sign that, you know, you can put over, you know, between doorways and stuff, I would like one that says, please leave by 9. Because my sister... She stays forever. Like, we're wrapping it up. She's kicking out the recliner. We're like, we got to go, Chelsea. You know, so that night we were going to church. Somehow we made it out the door. The sermon was about being close underneath God's lampshade, close to the light in those circumstances. And I remember it clearly. 
we made it home, and we got the kids bathed and put to bed. It was 10 o'clock p.m. on a Sunday. Now, six weeks earlier, our son Luke had left for college. Um, he was only 15 minutes away, but he wanted the full experience of Tiffin University, so he lived at the dorm. He gave us a call and asked, can I come out for a visit? I mean, it was late, but who doesn't want to see their kids? Well, I'll never forget it. Something started to stir within, and the baby in my womb was restless. Stretching in my ribs, the uneasiness grew. Our handsome, beautiful son arrived, and he sat down, and his dad and I sat down beside him. But there we were, not knowing of the love that we were about to be called to show for years to come. Being the oldest, our son, he was always more mature. Studies have been done that say that a mother's firstborn son is the replica of herself, and I couldn't agree with that anymore. We're serious over the same things. We hurt over the same things. We laugh about the same things. He was a part of me. He was the baby whose first kick I felt on Good Friday in 1999. He was our light when my husband's mother passed away two weeks before he was born. And I'll never forget my OBGYN, Dr. Bazzoli, telling us there in his office with papers stacked so tall on his desk, do you know what exciting thing will happen in 1999? Well, Matt and I, we just looked at each other. You know, we were young and innocent. And he said, you're going to have a baby. He was the one who made me a mother. I could tell that Luke was nervous that night, and it worried me. But there we sat, and we were listening. This was our son. And our son sat there, and he shared with us the small talk then he took a really deep breath, and his voice was shaky, and he said, Mom and Dad. Lots of words, tears, uncertainty, fear, disbelief, and every other emotion I've ever felt as a mother. He looked at us and he said, I am gay. Matt and I were stunned. The air left our lungs. I sat there, I was so quiet, and I felt what felt like a blur of smoke fill our living room. I couldn't speak or breathe. I was still, I've never heard such silence. That was our living room. We talked quietly and gently, and we spoke of God's love to him. We stood, we prayed, and we held each other. And then he walked out the door. God's love really surrounds us when we pray it in. That week we had asked for prayers for our family, among our closest of church family, prayers for us, prayers for our son. Our fears were elevated as we prayed fervently for him, and he shared what had been weighing on his heart. In that living room, every night we put the kids to bed, we walked directly to the front door of our home, and our friends walked into that house and turned it into a room of prayer. We didn't know how to travel this new path before us, but we knew who would guide us. Our closest friends were there. So much incredible, unending love. We sat there and we prayed and we cried, and we asked for so much guidance. We went to the college and we parked in the parking lot of his dorm and we prayed. And if you'd asked us what we prayed about every time we parked there, the hundreds of times, we wouldn't even be able to tell you other than we just prayed for Luke to know God's love. But again, it was that door opening. Two years before that night, God came to me in the middle of the night. 
and I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was a picture of me and Matt and our church family neighbors, Dwight and Sandy. They are strong believers, leaders of our church, two church servants, and they led the way in so many areas of the church. Opening the doors, you know. But that picture in my mind was what God spoke to me. It was a vision of us praying with Dwight and Sandy. And we'd walked through that door, and we were praying on our knees in the living room. And when God showed me that the first time, my prayer was, Lord, just help me help Dwight and Sandy. You know, they need something. They're coming to us for a reason. I mean, I felt it all the way down to my bones. But as God would have it, that night we opened our front door. We were in our living room, on our floor, on our knees, circled together in prayer with Dwight and Sandy in our house. God opening doors. June 15, 2022. Matt was in Missouri with Jody Seward at a sheep show. Say that three times fast. Well, that left me at home with the kids doing our day-to-day summer things, and my plan was I'll take the kids swimming. We're going to hang out at the library a little bit because who doesn't love to do that in the summer? Maybe we'll visit some family. And our son was also on a trip with Matt and Jody. You know, so our second born again was the man of the house, our second born. I'm clear that when I first started talking, the one that was locked in the bathroom, that second born. So little did I know, but that 18-year-old young man had asked his dad before he left for Missouri if he could drive his truck to hang out with his friends that night. Well, this 18-year-old had his dad's old truck, which was perfectly fine to do any of the things he needed to do, but as young men see it, dad's truck is just a little bit nicer. And I was unaware of this previous conversation when my son came up to me and said, Hey, Mom, can I drive Dad's truck tonight? And yes, I'm a mom. And I'm not sure why hanging out with Mom and younger siblings just isn't a thing on the weekends, but there we were. He didn't want to. Lane was responsible. He was working, and college was just around the bend. We were weeks away, and he'd be moved into his new dorm and finding new adventures. You know, it was another baby leaving the nest. And honestly, sometimes I really don't know what happens in my back because when I get in situations like this, I have no backbone. I don't know how I'm walking sometimes because when your kids come up and they ask for something, I usually say yes. Mom, can I go? Please, I'll be home by 11 p.m. It'll be okay. I'll be safe. I'll drive slow. I promise, Mom, can I? I looked in his eyes. The handsome, dark eyes and the cowboy hat he wouldn't leave home without since he was about eight years old. And his smile reminded me of my dad. Well, you'll be safe, right? No need to rush. Just call me if you're going to be late. There's no need to drive fast. Take your time. You just got to get home tonight. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to go? All right. I guess it'll be okay. Hey, I love you, all right? So can I go, Mom? Yes. So he left my side for a few short minutes to run inside and grab some things. Before I knew it, he was heading out the door to the shiny truck, backing out of our driveway, windows down, waving all smiles in the cowboy hat. Some of you here know Krista Berkey. She's like a bonus grandma to our kids. Well, she came over with us that evening, and so we had an almost all-girl night because Flint was around. So we sat there in the living room playing a game of Uno, and it was 10.20 p.m., my phone started to ring from the kitchen, 
Well, that's odd. Before I could get to my phone, the house phone was ringing and it was Matt. And his next words spun my world. I just got a notification from Verizon that Lane's phone is dialed 911. And at that moment, I tried to make sense of what seemed to be another blur of senselessness. I remember having the phone in my hand and I floated, but I kind of walked to the living room and I told my friend Chris, I said, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta find Lane. She immediately prayed out loud in that living room for God to meet us right there and to be with Lane where he was and to guide Lane home. Stop and pray. I somehow made it to my van in the driveway and I pulled up the app that we use as a family for GPS to look for Lane's location. I wanted to do 60 miles an hour out of that driveway, but God said to stop and pray. I messaged a friend and I told her to pray hard. And you know, in times like that, isn't prayer hard anyways? Why would I tell her to pray harder? I just said pray hard. And all I remember her saying to me is that she had heard on the scanner there was an accident. Not just any accident, but an accident at the intersection everybody knew of. There's at least one in every county, and this was ours. I drove and I drove and I prayed, God, God, lead me to my son. I need my son. I need him, Lord. Show me him. Protect my eyes from what I'm about to see. Ease me into it. I'm so weak. I'm so weak. I can't do this alone. And I repeated that prayer over and over, and my foot was shaking on the gas pedal. Through the little stoplight, through the roundabout, go by our beautiful church here, make a right. Twists and curves were endless, but there it was. There they were, the fire trucks, the EMTs, sirens, the lights of all colors, state highway patrol, traffic's backed up. By the leading of God, I pulled up and breathed a whisper to God, show me my son. I knew there was so much noise around me, but at that very moment, it was silence. I was by myself. My husband was ten hours away, but I wasn't alone. You know, it's something when you're driving those small highways. You know, the roads seem small, but they can fit the biggest of equipment, the semis, the trucks, the carts, the horses, the buggies. But to get out of the comfort of your vehicle and walk on that road was something I'll never forget. I walked and I walked and I prayed and I prayed and I said, show me my son. There in the middle of the knee-high by 4th of July corn was the truck. Barely recognizable, mangled. I blinked. I was there, but God was there too. Show me my son. I turned halfway around on a foggy daze and there was the state highway patrol by the ambulance. Standing beside him was my son. I ran to him. I embraced him and I told the Lord that I would never let him go. My heart erupted. My hot tears ran down my face and I praised God for his hedge of protection over my son and the other person that was hit. We walked to the truck after finishing up the statement and the paperwork. I'd asked Lane, what happened? And he had taken his friend home and missed the blinking red light doing at least 55 miles an hour. Lane drove directly into the intersection of the other traffic that was also traveling at at least the same miles per hour. We watched his dad's truck be pulled onto the tow truck. In a matter of 90 minutes at most, 
We stood there as traffic resumed, and before we knew it, we were the only ones standing there with the deputy. It was like an accident that had never happened. I kept thinking, these people have no idea what just happened here. And they didn't. But we did. We stood there, grasping at what had happened. We were given the go-ahead to leave by the deputy. And I just kept thinking, how did he get out? I was so overwhelmed by the accident, I had to ask, Lane, how did you get out? And he looked at me and he said, Mom, when the truck landed in the cornfield, I was so scared and I prayed. I looked up and there was a man with a cowboy hat on. And he opened that driver's side door and he helped me out. I don't know who he was, but he opened the door. We're going to face challenges every single day. When we went to the junkyard the next day, there was no way that door could be opened by a human. My husband had already been sending me messages saying, get my jack out of the back. Get the the jack, it's my good jack. I'm like, I can't. Everything's surrounding it. But there we were. We were trying, but we couldn't even get that door open. God's going to connect those dots for us even when things don't make sense. And you're going to be able to get through it because not only are you chosen, but you're set apart. More than that, you're loved. And those doors that we run into, well, God's got that. God doesn't offer us a promise of an open door in regards to a better place to live or more riches or anything else of a material nature. He promised us an open door as an opportunity to serve. It pleases God when his followers are obedient against the pressures of the world. If we allow God to move within our lives and give him the full control, we're going to experience peace and contentment. God hasn't brought us this far to leave us. He's a faithful God, and he's there with us in the trenches. But we may be called to reach up a little bit further to him. Most of the time, we want God to open the doors for us. But God wants us to open the doors for him, too. Remember Revelation 3.20? Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. And so I ask you today, What door is in front of you? A door is a door. God will not open a door to his opportunity that does not line up to his word. God's not going to open those doors up to sin. Okay, if we've prayed about it, we have that door. Okay, we have to listen to what God wants us to do. And as children of God, we have to seek him as we're making those decisions. So what door is in front of you? I'm going to close with a prayer, and then Bristol and I, we're going to sing a song, and then you guys have a closing song. Matt will probably lead that. And I appreciate your listening. Close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for all of the servants out before us, Lord. Thank you for your gifts of your word, Lord, and thank you for all that you do for us in the many ways that we see and so many of the things that we don't see that you protect us from. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for being on the other side of that door for us to open. 
Thank you for all of the blessings that you've given us today in honor of our mothers and our grandmothers and the women that are in our lives. We thank you for all of our blessings. And Lord, we we ask for you to be with us when there comes times when you're going to need to try us, Lord. You're going to need to give us a test. Let us remember that when we're in the valleys, Lord, we're going to look up. Sometimes it's not easy to look up when we're on the, the hills, Lord. But we're going to look up no matter if we're the hills or the valleys. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for dying on the cross for us and shedding your blood for us so that we can spend eternity with you, Lord. Let us see the blessings that are before us and let us continue to give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Amen. So this is for all the mothers. I don't know why God made one bedroom apartments out of state. I don't know why he made hometowns if it's somewhere I can't stay. I don't know why he made growing up, but I guess that we're all gonna. I don't know a lot of things, but I 